It is the fan pregame. Sportsnet and Sportsnet 5 at 90. The fan. We got a 90 minute show, one hour here on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360, and then an extra half an hour for your Wednesday. I'm Sportsnet 590, the fan, because we got the Nuggets in town to face the Raptors. That is a 7.30 p.m. tip at Scotiabank Arena. So Eric Smith and Paul Jones will join us courtside to help us tee that up around 7. Jake Fisher is going to join us at 6.30 to chat a little NBA-wide action and maybe some trade rumors and pondering. He's always on the Raptors beat, so I think that's the right person to bring in (laughs) six weeks before the trade deadline. Things are getting... And every week until the trade deadline. Yeah, yeah. The conversations don't go away. And then Wednesday Night Hockey, of course, across the network, we got Red Wings and Jets at 7.30. Frank Saravelli will join us to help us set that one up. And then around 7 o'clock, 7.15, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite things to watch over the holiday season because we were just discussing off-air. It is jam-packed this holiday. We've got... NBA Christmas games, but NFL Christmas slate is... Like an NFL takeover this year. They're, they're definitely trying to take it over. The inaugural PWHL season begins on January 1st. you got mm-hmm. the World Juniors. you got the Winter Classic, of course. College football playoff. There's so much going on, you don't have to leave your couch. So, uh, 590-590, our text line. You can text in, like, what's your holiday viewing sports, I guess, calendar traditions will be this time around because it's a little bit jam-packed and it's going to be great. Yeah, who do you ignore in order to watch the sports that you crave mm. over the holiday season? Let us know, uh, and then we'll let you know what uh, we're leaving the Christmas dinner or holiday <laughs> dinner table uh, in order to watch. Okay, let's bring in Frank Saravelli, of course, weekly guest, dailyfaceoff.com. And Frank, how's it going today? It's going. Uh, it's the insider holiday. Didn't you guys know the NHL ho- holiday roster freeze? I mean, this is perfect. I can kind of <laughs> maybe put my phone down for once. Okay, so I think people were disappointed there wasn't enough like a flurry right beforehand, and now we got to wait a little bit. I guess that's not the way that you view it, though. You're like, I'll take a break, and we'll be back in, I guess, is it right after the holidays in January, or is it before that? I'm not really taking a break. I'm just <laughs> saying at least I know that there won't yes. be some crazy trade that materializes out of the blue. And by the way, I think there's kind of an unwritten gentleman's agreement in place among the managers that unless you absolutely have to, unless it's something that you cannot avoid, a deal that you cannot pass up, the the freeze actually really starts a little bit before the actual league-wide freeze because they don't want to send anyone packing and sending them across the continent the week before Christmas. That's true. Uh, yeah, I guess that's fair, right? I, I guess it's fair to kind of freeze transactions, but is it right to freeze out an entire sport during the holiday season? I mean, we just talked about the NFL kind of taking over, and that's kind of, it just goes by the schedule. They play every weekend, obviously. Christmas is a big thing, of course, for the NBA. Should the NHL just, like, let everyone enjoy their holidays, or should they be a little bit more ambitious about filling out this type of, or this part of the calendar? It's a little old timey, but I kind of like it. The idea that, look, as hectic as everything is, the real treat of the holidays is to be able to spend it with family. And as someone who has worked many world juniors and missed some Christmases, like it isn't easy to pack up and leave your family in the NBA or wherever it might be. A lot of people are lucky enough to bring their family on a road trip or whatever that might look like. Um, I just think it's a lot less stressful for NHL players knowing that they get a mini break in what's a slog of a season to be able to spend time with family. I, I happen to think it's a pretty neat little tradition they have. Well, I guess we won't talk to you until the new year. So will you be going to uh, the Winter Classic this year out in Seattle? 
No Winter Classic in Seattle. I was just there two weeks ago yeah, for Board were. of Governors. <laughs> I've been all over the place. Global Series in Sweden, and I was in Toronto for Hall of Fame. I've been to Edmonton a couple times already this season, Western Canada a bunch. So uh, for me, it'd be nice to be at home. And as mentioned, a bunch of those World Juniors Nice to be home for Christmas. Yeah, that will be that will be very sweet. Um, and we're going to get some time off too, so we'll all enjoy it. Um, okay, let's talk about tonight. We got Wednesday night hockey, Detroit and Winnipeg. We were discussing like Winnipeg at the beginning of the season was all about the ticket sales. It was kind of a negative discourse around Winnipeg, and then it became the Edmonton Oilers and their entire media frenzy. So we haven't really talked about the Winnipeg Jets in a while. It, they, I think they could be a very quiet success story this season. Uh, one point back in the division, we're going to see them tonight against Detroit, who's been struggling. But what's been the most impressive thing, maybe quietly, with this Winnipeg Jets season? Well, it's probably that it's been quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, think of all the different points that were talked about heading into the season before the extensions for Hellebuck and Shifley and sort of the drama that had existed around this team in the summer. Pierre-Luc Dubois on his way out of town, asked to be out. Who knows what happens with the core? Blake Wheeler not coming back. Were the best days of the Winnipeg Jets with this group and this core already behind them? And I think the idea that Their coach left the team for a period of time this year and Rick bonus to spend time with his wife after an illness, like all these things have kind of come together. And yet they've been really one of the more consistent teams in the league this season. And I think when you look at this team from top to bottom, I think one of the big things that stands out for me is that yes, they've got some really nice pieces and a lot of what they're doing these last, you know, little bit here last couple of weeks has been without Kyle Connor, uh, a true freak of nature in this league, but they've gotten some more depth scoring. They have found some different pieces. Cole Perfetti's taken a really nice step for this team. The guys that they took on from the LA Kings have been pretty big contributors to this point when they've been healthy. And I think they have the goaltending and defense to really back it all up. So It's a fascinating debate right now, and I I know that it it was had on Sportsnet earlier this week of which Canadian team is best prepared to to chase a Stanley Cup right now. You know, between Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Vancouver, and depending on what you think of the Leafs, who have been the hottest team in the league since November 10th, there's really an interesting dynamic in terms of how you answer that question. And maybe there's a little bit more flexibility uh, for the Winnipeg Jets compared to Vancouver or Edmonton or Toronto. I think Toronto has a little flexibility uh, ahead of the deadline, uh, but maybe less capital to pull from. But the Jets seem like, you know, they could do pretty much anything. Is this go time, do you think, for Kevin Shoveldayoff? Is it time to add? Is it time to go for it? I mean, Dallas stagnating, Colorado infighting, if we want to get that far. Uh, is this the time for Kevin Shoveldayoff to be aggressive and improve this team to, you know, an extent that is, or beyond the extent that it is improved this offseason. See, that's the part of the question, Justin, that I struggle in answering, because if you really look back through the playbook of Kevin Sheveldayoff, it's not really in his nature to be aggressive, that more often than not, the decision has been to try and improve this team around the margins. And I think they made some really smart bets last year. When you look back to Nemesnikov and they added and Niederreiter, he's been a good fit so much so that they decided to extend him. Um, And so they didn't have to give up a lot for those pieces. And when they've gone after some of the big fish, and they've traded away their first round pick to get Paul Stastny. Uh, and that worked out pretty well. The next year they go after Kevin Hayes, not so well. So, you know, in the 10 to 12 year run that they've had in Winnipeg, 
there hasn't been a lot of moments where that team that is pretty well, you know, one of the more competitive teams, certainly in the last six to eight years, they've been in that window to win. And yet more often than not choose not to push their chips to the middle, because I think part of the thought process is, and I actually think they nail this is we're trying to have the most competitive team that we can for the longest window, the longest runway to add in a jets pun. And part of the reason for that is the teams that, that do end up going for it and trading away their picks year after year. Most of the time it doesn't work out. And then they're left stuck kind of perpetuating this cycle where they just continue to roll the dice and go after it. And the jets meanwhile are just kind of still there. And that's maybe been the biggest story of their summer is with the guys that decided to stay in Shifley and Hellebuck, that window has now extended out even further. I don't think you can make a runway joke when Winnipeg doesn't have an airport. (laughs) <laughs> oh come on that's the other joke guys. no matter you know no matter, you may know, not be able to get anywhere you may not be able to get anywhere but it's still better than pearson oh I, that honestly is, you know that's i think that that's true. true that's true um all right so on the other side of the ice tonight you've got the detroit red wings who there was so much excitement about they get patrick kane there's all this energy around this reinvigoration of this player and they've lost six of the last seven games and I don't know if we what we expected. Really, I think I just expected excitement, and it really hasn't been that way. So is it just a slow ramp-up period, or are there just bigger holes than the Patrick Kane-sized hole that was filled with just one acquisition? Well, they've also been without Dylan Larkin, who's a huge engine of that team. So it's kind of hard to really give a fair and full evaluation of the Red Wings because you've seen Patrick Kane also ramp his game up. Mike Kelly from NHL Network had a great stat Um, that he's sort of been keying in on every game so far that Patrick Kane has played. He's had more offensive zone possession time. He's made more passes to the slot. You can see him get adjusted after so long off and sort of wading his way back into it. You know, the points have been fine. It hasn't been out of this world production and you're sort of waiting for that moment that he breaks through. But I'd also happen to think that Dylan Larkin rejoining the lineup will certainly put this team in a much better position to succeed. Look, I'll be candid, and I've said this since the beginning, I'm not really a believer in the Red Wings this year, but the addition of Kane to me with their defense kind of exceeding expectations, and I mean, I failed to mention also that their goaltending is sort of in flux in these last seven to ten days. They've got a lot of different hurdles to climb over. I think in order to be a playoff team this year, you look at the way the first three teams in the division are slotted out. I have a hard time believing they're going to wedge their way into that. What they need to hope and pray for is that for them to get in this year, the Flyers and the Islanders kind of slide back into those wild card spots and become gettable teams because I think New Jersey and Carolina are going to take off and take over those spots in the Metro. So I mentioned it uh, a minute or so ago that Colorado is experiencing some weird storylines. We talked about Miko mm-hmm. Rantanen and, and Arturi Lekkonen's father last week, and now we have Devon Tays going after his teammates <laughs> uh, in the media. Uh, I guess we could sort of connect the dots on who he might be talking about, but do you have any insight on what exactly is going on there and how a team that's only a couple years removed from a Stanley Cup and looked like they had it all figured out from a team-building perspective uh, has sort of lost its way? Yeah, I'm I'm going to stop you right there because I don't think they've lost their way. Okay. I think part of this is much ado about nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, Rantanen, one of the ultimate competitors, 
had his fire stoked at something that I think was probably more or less taken out of context. I happen to know Arturi Lekkinen's father really well, Ismo Lekkinen. He's been at a bunch of Stanley Cup finals in a row as a commentator for Finnish TV. And he's not really the type of guy that's going to be throwing things out there to, to make headlines. That's not really in his nature. Um, it's not what he's built like. So he seemed to find something ranting in that bothered him. And that helped him get a three point game after going scoreless for nine in a row. Um, so kind of park that one separate side issue. And then the Devon Taves comments, like I actually find that to be really healthy. Um, some people view that as a negative, I think in an environment that's really been fostered by Nathan McKinnon and really the ultimate competitive edge in the league is that sometimes honest conversations need to be had. Those are the best teams that you can play on instead of everyone sitting around shrugging in the locker room, like, Oh, maybe we'll get him next time. He's saying, Hey, we got to level up our game. And he's speaking to everyone else that might be complacent or content in their position. And, I like that from Devon Taves. Give me more of that. Give me more honesty. See, this is Justin why we can't have nice things. We have a player say something. We have a player say something honest, and then it's like, oh, there's controversy in Colorado. I guess so. But you're, you're talking about honest conversations. I hope those conversations are happening inside the room and not just to, to media members that were there. Like, I, again, I don't know who exactly he's talking about, uh, but that was pretty pointed criticism. And uh, if I'm one of the guys who wasn't a part of that Stanley Cup team, and this hasn't been discussed until you just went in front of the media and said that, then there might be more than just, you know, uh, uh, there might be more honest conversations happening uh, that don't involve, you know, where he might be on the ice at a particular moment in time. My guess is that if it made its way into the media, that it had already probably been addressed within the dressing room, and this was the second, third, or fifth time that it's been brought up. Mm Mm-hmm. Fifth time it's been brought up, they might have lost their way then. Okay. Um, a tough loss for Colorado last night. Another mm-hmm. one for the Ottawa Senators, who I had on the puck line, thought they are going to win in the debut of their new head coaches and their assistant coach, obviously, with a blast from the past. So they blow that lead. They cough up this lead last night. And we haven't even spoken since um, the new regime started because this was a Monday. So I guess just your perspective of what's going on with uh, with Ottawa right now, if this is a long-term fix, this is just putting uh, some pieces back into place, and if it's going to be like what we've seen with Edmonton, with the, the new coach maybe reigniting a team, or maybe that's asking too much. <laughs> I think last night with the way that they blew that game against the Coyotes was a pretty clear indication to a lot of people that it's not just the coach. It isn't as simple as just, and it's one game, but it's not as simple as just, hey, Jacques Martin is here and and all of a sudden everyone's going to snap to attention and everything's going to be fine. Uh, First off, I don't think he's a long-term solution. And look, maybe I'm completely wrong here. Maybe he comes in and runs the table the rest of the way and the Sens become one of the darlings of the NHL. I don't think we've seen enough evidence to support that or, or believe that that could be a possibility so far this year. School is is very clearly now in session for the Sens. Um, he's a taskmaster. He is attention to detail. He is defensive zone structure. All these things that the Sens team desperately needs. Um, and so I think he can go about implementing some of that. And this isn't ageism when I say it, but Jacques Martin is now the oldest coach in the league by a somewhat wide margin. It's been a really long time since he's been a head coach in this league. Um, I view him as a foundational you know, sort of a stone setter, if that makes sense, Uh, putting some pieces in place to get this team to where it needs to get to that 
ultimately they bring someone else in at some point after he steers them back in the right direction that can then be the person that leads this team moving forward and I think it's imperative that you find that person before this season ends especially if you're not going to be making the playoffs and aren't close so that you can set expectations properly heading into the summer and training camp for next year. So from one Atlantic division coaching change to maybe another, and again, jumping the gun here, but things are not good uh, with the Buffalo Sabres right now. And a lot of the shine has been knocked off uh, the Tony Granato experience, or at least it seems, I mean, people were really, really bullish on what he was going to do there and it's just not working. Uh, What do you sense might happen uh, if it continues to trend negatively for the Buffalo Sabres? I've seen all the chants. I've read the newspaper stories. Mike Harrington in the Buffalo News today was saying, welcome to another nuclear winner in Buffalo. And it's a chilling thought for the Sabres team that for the most part over these last 12 years, 13 years since this playoff drought started, can't get out of its own way. Um, I don't view this as a coaching problem at all. Um, I think the Buffalo Sabres under Don Granato have taken some significant steps. I think they love playing for him. I think Kevin Adams has been really impressed with what he's seen from Don Granato. The wild card here in this is how does Terry Pagula feel? How does their owner think and and, and react to this? Because that part to me, I, I don't have line of sight on that. And if it were up to just Kevin Adams, my assumption is that they stay the course and for a good long while for a guy who's under contract through 2026 and just recently had gotten an extension. That said, I think the onus for this season rest and lies squarely on Kevin Adams shoulders because I love what they did last year. I love the step forward that they took and I love the line in the sand that they drew when they said, we're not bringing in any veterans to this team that are going to get in the way of young players. They took big steps, had a 91 point season, and then they got to this summer and they took their foot off the gas. And you had all these other teams around the league continue to improve and the Sabres really did nothing. And then they also placed a huge bet on Devin Levi to do something that's more or less unprecedented to go right from the NCAA into being an NHL starter. And that's so hard to do. So they've had to go back to the drawing board. They've been some painful moments. I am a believer in this core, but I think they need some help. Uh, They're going to see the Maple Leafs tomorrow night, which is always a fun one. A battle of the QEW uh, Leafs headed to Buffalo. And I'm sure There'll be a lot of Leaf fans in attendance. It's always a fun one for us. Um, I wonder for you, because we talked about the Leafs, I think it was last week, about Martin Jones. And you were the first one that was like, I actually don't think that he's just going to be, you know, there for one or two opportunities. Like, you actually, you thought he would actually push for a position in the net. And we've seen him now twice. And I think that that's a pretty good way to put it, right? He he was surprising to me. I think maybe I undervalued Martin Jones. So if you look at this Leafs roster right now, dealing with a little bit of a goaltending injury, it looks like things have like almost leveled out a little bit. I think that there's not like a huge cause for concern in Leafs Nation. They've been one of the best teams in the NHL over the last couple of weeks. They're continuing to get points. Like, are we okay? Like, we're we're just tame right now. Is should we feel comfortable? Why not? Martin Jones to me is <laughs> he's better than 25 other goalies that are currently on NHL rosters. Like, it, that's not hyperbole when I say it. He's got experience. He's been around for a lot of different moments. He played 46 games last year for a playoff team in Seattle. Um, When you consider all of the different options that are out there and you consider the fickle nature of the position and just how brutal some of these guys have been in other spots, 
he's as good as anything else you could possibly get out there. So for better or for worse, um, I think if he's ready to take the ball and run with it, and it clearly has put in the work this season when he wasn't getting an opportunity to be at his best, to, to have this spot where he could take the ball and run with it, why not? If Jones emerges, plays well over the next two weeks or so, I guess four weeks or so, to make Ilya Samsonov expendable to you? 100%. Just one other way for the Toronto Maple Leafs to find some cap space. I, to me, the writing was on the wall with Ilya Samsonov when he only ended up coming through last summer with a one-year deal. He wasn't long for Toronto, and last season, as good as he played, the fact that there wasn't a more long-term commitment or pact, to me, tells me not only are they big believers in, in Joe Wall and what he's doing, but also that... Um, I don't think they want to devote a whole ton of salary cap space to the position if they can af- uh, avoid it, because look at all the other teams that have done so and them have gotten themselves into trouble that maybe the new trend is exactly what the LA Kings are doing with Cam Talbot. And I know he's hurt right now, but Phoenix Copley to only spend two and a half million bucks on goaltending. If you've got a, a roster that's out of whack balance wise at other positions, which for years, the Leafs have been between forward and defense that this now would open up an opportunity with the Klingberg LTIR cash to really make a difference on the back end. Yeah, that Joseph Wall uh, contract right now is like the little present under the tree that Don't just keeps giving. Don't squander it. Yes. Don't squander it. Hold on tight. Uh, well, chef's Frank, kiss. Yeah, chef's kiss. Uh, we will definitely chat with you in the new year. We wish you the happy holiday and uh, enjoy sitting on the couch and family time. <laughs> Have a great Christmas, everyone. Thanks so much. Uh, Frank Valley of dailyfaceoff.com. Okay, so um, some big games on tonight. We got uh, Wednesday night hockey, of course, Detroit and Winnipeg. We talked about that. Two teams kind of in different spots. We've got Denver uh, in town to face your Toronto Raptors, 730. We'll have Sports at 590. The fan will tee that up with Eric Smith and Paul Jones a little later in the show. Um, I'm going to go to that Monday night hockey game, though. And if Jeff Merrick is listening, he will be very happy with my pick. <laughs> so time now for Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. When did we start talking about Gabe Velarde? A week ago? Two weeks ago? Uh, I would say about a week, week and he a half ago. He merged into the discourse. Yeah, he definitely, he, he broke through. And so sure. that's... He's in that discourse. He's going to continue to be in my discourse. Uh, tonight, two plus points at plus 375. As we said, that they're playing the six, uh, last six of the last seven games. Red Wings, who haven't looked themselves without having Kyle Connor finding scoring in different ways. And Gabe Velarde has been doing that consistently uh, for the last couple games. It looks like James Reimer will be starting in that, hasn't had many starts this season. So I like Gabe Velarde to get two-plus points, and just his goal-scoring prop alone wasn't good enough, so I'm spicing it up with two-plus points. Yeah, that top line's been playing really, really well. Shifley and Ehlers uh, can help Velarde get to the number that Mm -hmm. you need. Uh, I'm going to the basketball game in Toronto, the world champions, as you mentioned, coming to town. Denver Nuggets are a really good team. And Denver, when they're at their best, yeah, they have the best player in the world, but they don't rely on the best player in the world to just fill the stat sheet like crazy. Like generally when Denver struggles, it's when Jokic is having to do more and fills up the stat sheet because it's out of necessity. This Raptors team is, you know, in the place that it's at. And maybe Jokic doesn't need a full usage night. So I'm going to go to the next most reliable scorers after Jamal Murray, who might be on a minute's limit. So number three and number four options, both. I'm going to take their alt overs Aaron Gordon over 16 and a half points. Michael Porter Jr. over 18 and a half points. Combine them plus 900. If it's not a Jokic night, could be a night for Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. 
All right, that was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. You mentioned Jamal Murray. It'll be his first time back home since being a world champion. How do you think the response will be considering he didn't play for... And losing the Northern Star. Didn't win the Northern Star. Didn't go to the FIBA World Cup, um, but still is a world champion with the Denver Nuggets. I think they'll do something on the video. You think? No, actually, no, I don't think think so. No, but I mean, there'll there'll be a nice moment. Obvious, yeah. There's a lot of respect for Jamal Murray, of course, and there should be. Do something. Uh, There should be. There'd be more respect, though, if he was the guy who was going to Indonesia to represent Canada. Tired and injured, Uh, and I'm sure he'll be one of the guys knocking on the doors trying to go to the Olympics. But, uh, yeah, he was coming off an injury, and he's still coming off an injury because Mm -hmm. he might be a little restricted tonight. But, yeah, I mean, every Canadian basketball fan should have respect for Jamal Murray. Definitely, even if you're a Shea guy. Even if you're a devout Shea guy. (laughs) You certainly are. Uh, Smith & Jones uh, from Scotiabank at 7 o'clock. But when we come back on the other side, we'll have Jake Fisher talk about a little NBA and definitely Raptors trade rumors. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on the fan pregame. Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan, an hour away from the Raptors, taking on the Denver Nuggets at Scotiabank Arena. The return of some familiar Canadian faces and, of course, the defending NBA champions. That's at 730. We'll have Eric Smith and Paul Jones join us courtside from Scotiabank Arena to help us tee that up in about half an hour. Uh, but let's get into some more NBA chat with Jake Fisher, of course, of Yahoo Sports, joining us. Uh, Jake, appreciate you coming on today. We got lots to go through. It's been a while since we got to go like a full NBA look around, but we will start with the Toronto Raptors because, of course, uh, they're always in the headlines in terms of where are they going? What's their direction? And tonight they're playing the Nuggets, which is always a good measuring stick, but maybe a scary measuring stick. When you look at this Raptors team, I mean, there's not they're not contenders. They're not really pretenders could they could be buyers they could be sellers and they could be in that mushy middle like how do you start to conceptualize this Raptors season and what might be next for them yeah it, it does start to feel like this team has finally maybe turned the corner more towards not really a rebuild but mm-hmm. towards towards the seller mode that every rival executive has kind of been hoping and praying that Messiah Jerry from office is going to uh, take that step with Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, and then you have lesser talented players like Gary Trent Jr., who could potentially bring back some significant value uh, in terms of you know a veteran talent that could help some playoff contenders elsewhere. So it does seem like bringing in a new head coach like Darko, who is certainly more of a, of a youthful spirit and, and, and a teacher. Uh, that maybe they that really are kind of the early foundations and the, the footprints of a team that is kind of going to accept they're not really a, a true playoff contender and a championship threat in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, it's interesting you say it that way because it, it, it feels like something we've been waiting on, right, for mm-hmm. it to hit them over the head, uh, at least the, the realities of the season or the realities of where they are. Uh, I wonder, though, in your opinion, like how they got to this point, like what convinced them, what triggered this? Is it that hey, Scotty Barnes looks like a guy that you want to be maybe patient with and you want to build around and you want to do it the right way around him? Or is it just, hey, we, we've got ourselves into a mess here. We just have to act because it's we can't even pretend to be a team that has a, a true ambition. Scotty Barnes is definitely a, a, a true North Star. Like, you, you flashback to the Kevin Durant 
chatter from before last season began, and the Raptors were telling everyone who would ask that he was untouchable even for Kevin Durant. So that hasn't changed. That's not new. I think the thing about Toronto that has kind of left a lot of opposing teams and executives scratching their heads over the last couple of seasons is that the Raptors were holding out hope that this unit was legitimately a playoff team by talent on the roster. It seemed like that was even a bit of a point of contention between the coaching staff last season and the front office. And that the side group, the other ups on down, that they had been looking at this team with the, you know their 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 project six foot nine, all these switchable athletic long forwards could come together and figure something out and and be a real playoff threat in the East like they were, you know, the year before when they were the sixth seed and still kind of clinging on to glimmers of, of the 2019 glory days. So I think it's really been more of an acceptance that this roster as presently comprised is just not in that top tier of the other Eastern Conference, you know, elites. Like they're, they are far below the Boston's and the Milwaukee's and Philadelphia, but I'm about to head into the Magic and the Heat game here in Orlando and they're far below that, that, that tier as well. Yeah, the, I think the the conversation usually starts with what to do with Pascal Siakam when we talk about the direction of this Raptors team. And I think we've had this same conversation for now an entire calendar year. Um, he's always in the trade rumor, but he says he wants to be a part of the Toronto Raptors. But did maybe did they miss that opportunity to sell high on Pascal? What do you think his trade value would be if there was an opportunity to move him at this trade deadline? And I guess how likely do you think that move would be for Masai Ujiri? I do think, and it's hard to know, but I do think that if they move Pascal this summer, there's a, there's a strong possibility or there's a strong possibility that they would have gotten more then than they would now, being that a team acquiring him like the Atlanta Hawks are you know, quite interested in definitely serious talks there. They would have had a full season with him on their roster before he reaches unrestricted free agent market, where he's going to definitely be commanding top dollar and has wanted top dollar and any talk with the rappers about extending, which I don't don't think those talks have ever really gotten so far. So now you're looking at a team that would potentially be looking at him as a worst-case scenario or rental if it weren't to work out. And that prospect, whether it's him, whether it's any player that could go into the open market after you acquire him now, that's just – that's going to give certain teams pause. It's going to give a lot of teams reason to not put forth their richest possible offer to protect themselves out of fear that he could just walk. Or, you know, even if you were to get a wink, wink or an assurance from his representation that he'll want to stay there if you give him X amount of dollars, which obviously you're not allowed to do, but it happens all the time. Those types of handshake agreements don't always work out. You know, you see James Harden going to the Clippers and you see Kyrie Irving forcing his way to doubt. Like, those types of dealings are, are never as obvious and straightforward as they appear. So I do think that moving him now will, all in, in all likelihood, it will generate less of a return for Toronto than if they were to have moved him in the summer. But they didn't move him in the summer because clearly they didn't get what they were hoping for. So it's always like a, a balance of trying to wait for the exact opportune moment to move him. And to your question, sometimes you realize that moment passed before you could have realized it in, in the actual present. When you zoom out and look at the entire ecosystem, the entire NBA, and, and how many buyers are out there, how many sellers are out there, are, like, are the Raptors in a reasonably advantageous position if they decide you know, to be aggressive, to take advantage of this spot? Or 
do they have parts that, you know, could be sought out elsewhere? Like just judging the opportunity here or assessing rather the opportunity here for the Raptors. Uh, is it is it what it was at least last year when we were talking about the Raptors maybe owning the deadline before they did nothing but buy Jakob Pertl? Yeah, I think they could. Like, even on the list to, to Gary Trent, you know, a name I said earlier, right now, if you talk to any executive who has any type of eye trained towards the draft in June, they will tell you that this is very widely regarded as a lesser talented draft than, than, than years past. So I do think there are going to be plenty of teams in the playoff hunt who will be willing to pack to, to package a, a late first-round pick for a, a legitimate starter and caliber rotation player like Kerry Trent either. I'm not saying he's going to absolutely get to that on a first-round pick, but I see that it could happen this year more so than other years past where teams like Toronto could benefit from that more so than, like, the top-billing guys like a Pascal or like an OG Ananobi. I think, you know, like Buddy Heal was a name with the Pacers, for example, that a lot of teams were looking at as a potential. You know, could Indiana get a first-round pick for him? Well, now the Pacers don't look to be a seller. So to that to your point about the, the dearth of sellers around the league where all the teams now in the playing tournament era are all thinking we could just be a – a Gary Trent away from moving up a couple spots up the up the standings. But that could definitely benefit Toronto, uh, depending on how you look at it. We're chatting with Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports. Um, on the other side of the court tonight, we're going to see the Denver Nuggets. First time they've been to Toronto in a long time. First time they've been here as uh, defending champions as well. Are, are they still, you know, in that upper, obviously they're in that upper echelon, but is there something more that can bring them over the edge to have another repeat? Is there something on their holiday wish list that they're eyeing to be, you know, the shoe-in, to be the, the, the defending champs that do a back-to-back this time around? You know, to be honest, Denver hasn't really come up at all in my early intel calls around the league here in this post-December 15th window. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that every team fully believes in their scouting department and their ability to identify talent in the draft. But the Nuggets in particular really believe in their, you know, college and international uh, player personnel evaluation. And they think guys like Christian Brown, who contributed in the final last year, and their rookies now, Julian Strother, uh, Peyton Watson, that took two years ago, who's really kind of a rookie this season in actual minutes. Like, they're kind of hoping that those young guys, after the course of 82 games fully play out, they will earn enough minutes and rep in their actual, you know, starting lineup and the rotation and then these road games across the border to get to the point where they can contribute in the playoffs down the line too. So I think the Nuggets are gambling on their internal development and the talent that they pinpointed in this draft most recently and in last couple of drafts. Even someone like Zeke Naji who's been – in their program for a couple of years. The Nuggets are, are, are very much invested in who they already have in their building, I think, as opposed to going out and trying to be a buyer. Uh, Jake, you wrote today about John, uh, Donovan Mitchell and the Cleveland Cavaliers situation. You mentioned that, yeah, Cleveland might be patient with this and that they're not in a rush to move out Donovan Mitchell. Uh, but what, in your opinion, what should they do uh, in the situation they're in, dealing with some injuries and, and facing a bit of an uncertain future, at least with their star? In my opinion, I think they kind of have to ride this out. It's just on paper, objectively, a, a very strong roster. And adding Max Struess and George Niang were the, kind of two of the perfect pieces that they 
they're missing between their big four with their two guards in the backcourt, Darius Carlin and Donovan, and then the two big men in Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. So six weeks to eight weeks for, for Mobley and a month for Darius Garland can like seem like a lot. But I do think if you squint your eyes, Donald Mitchell and Jared Allen with some shooters and some two-way wings, it kind of looks a little similar to what Donovan had in Utah with Rudy Gobert when the Jazz had the best record in the Western Conference. I wouldn't be surprised if inadvertently the Cavs look pretty good here when fitting all these pieces together has been the overall task and challenge for this franchise. They're making a simpler equation now. And obviously you want all those all-star talents like Garland and Moby back in the lineup, but without so many mouths to feed, it could become an easier hierarchy to to, to kind of develop a game-to-game, you know, rotation and flow. I'm not so sure the Cavs are going to like fall off a cliff here. I I think they're patient and uh, optimistic and pragmatic here for all the right reasons. And I kind of understand what the Cavs are thinking. Uh, so last night, John Morant returned from his 25-game suspension, 34 points, game winner. Um, of course, looks like the star that he is. It's not really like a redemption story. It's a weird one, right? Um, but I wonder for you, like, how do you think the league, if they have set him up for success in this return? There's going to be a lot of eyeballs on what he has to do, what he's going to do moving forward. Obviously, the encore performance is one part of it. But is there something that we've learned about a process like this with the league to make sure superstars and anyone that plays in the NBA has the right resources and is on the right pathway moving forward. I know I got subscribed to some newsletter that the league puts out every day called the starting five, where they recap all the action from last night. Look, he was on TNT last night and he was the leader that day. I, 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 it's definitely difficult and a precarious situation to frame his return as this kind of momentous opportunity with, everything he, you know, was experiencing and dealing and the mistakes he's made. I mean, is it him coming back from an injury or some hardship? Like, it's stuff that he put onto himself. That being said, like, yeah, the league absolutely will benefit from John Morant being a star and being the face of a playoff contender in Memphis. And I, I do fully expect him to get a ton of attention and to be highlighted and celebrated when he does amazing athletic feats like he did last night. So it's going to be a balancing act, but the NBA definitely will be hoping that he continues to be the star that he's been. And, and that's the reason why the situation was so tricky to begin with, like because he is so good and he does have all his promise. But the, the league is hoping and investing in him to, to be one of these next guys. Uh, on the phone with Jake Fisher, senior NBA reporter at Yahoo Sports uh, and the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever, Not Too Late with the Holiday Season Approaching to uh, potentially add more one more gift <laughs> under the tree. Uh, I got to ask you about the Clippers, Jake. Uh, I, I think there was a lot of negativity, a lot of people just writing them off right away. James Harden, you're adding him into that mix. How's that going to work? And all of a sudden, they are on an absolute terror uh, they might be a dark horse to be a number one seed in the Western Conference. Uh, they look legit, and Kawhi Leonard is playing a ton, and they just look like they've answered a lot of the obvious questions people were asking when that group was put together. Do you believe in the Clippers? I do believe in the Clippers. They, they were looking all around the league getting back to last trade deadline for real legitimate point guard help to, to pair with this group. And James Harden, while people know him as this Alpha Omega scorer. Last year, he led the league in assists, and he truly is 
someone who can dissect any opposing defense in a high pick and roll setting. And he's found some chemistry with Avisa Zubac. He's got two of the best two wings in Kyle Leonard and Paul George. And they still have opportunity to, to improve. So I, I do believe in the Clippers. They've won eight straight games. Okay, so Justin brought up your book, um, How the Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. We got to talk about the Pistons. I think it's like a natural pivot. Like those, what's going on in Detroit is tough. And they're on this trajectory, and I, I'm sure you've seen this as well, that if they continue to lose, the game that would break the longest ever losing streak is against the Raptors. Yeah, we're uh, worried about it, too. We're a little we're worried. worried we're a bit worried that things are just going to happen uh, and it's all going to line up perfectly. But when you watch this team, like, I mean... It, I, is it good for them? Is it good for basketball down the road for them? Is it difficult to watch? How do they continue to show up every day and put a smile on their face? And do you wish you could write part two of your book about just the Detroit Pistons? <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why I wrote it, because I really came up in my career covering the Sixers processes under Sam Hinkie and rebuilding, you know, just like we're, we're talking about with Toronto potentially, you know, selling off these talents. It's not as straightforward a path as people think. And it gets more and more challenging in today's NBA where you have to start paying players off their rookie deals before they even really play in consequential games. So it's, it's a challenge when you have spent so much time trying to build a roster that has youth and ultimately inexperience that will potentially lose you games. That's why the book is called Built to Lose. Like it's, it's designed by the executives. And then the task falls onto the coaching staff and the players to suddenly change the direction all of a sudden in the, in the blink of an eye. The Pistons haven't been winning for four years. So to pay Monty Williams $13 million and just to think that he can all of a sudden change their fortunes when there hasn't been any real winning structure there. It's just far more challenging than I think it ever looks on paper. So it's not for the faint of heart. I think the only real way to get to that bottom and bounce back to the top is to have a bona fide, legitimate top five player in the league, an MVP candidate guy. The truth of the matter is right now, Kate Cunningham hasn't proven to be anything close to that at this juncture. It's still very early in his career, obviously. But aside from him, there's no one else on that roster who's even close to projecting as any all-star caliber player. And that's the real challenge when you spend so much time at the bottom of the league and you don't come away with multiple guys where, you know, the Thunder right now, they have Shea Gilbert out there, they have Chet Holden, they have Dale mm-hmm. You can go down the list. You need a couple guys. You really can't just have one. But you also need to have that one who's like head and shoulders above like Shea is in OKC. So the, the, the Pistons are kind of missing all of those criteria right now. Yeah, it's wild to be that bad, to not have that talent, but to pay the coach that much money is just is just crazy. Uh, honestly, it's it's wild. If you're going to tank, tank, but do you have to spend that much on a coach to do it? Uh, I, I don't think so. Okay, last one for you, Jake. Uh, we're about six weeks till the deadline. Putting you on the spot a little bit. What, what team, though, do you think has the most pressure to make something happen before the deadline approaches? You could say Toronto, but... This is a tough player Raptors, obviously. I'm going to say the Atlanta Hawks. You know, they brought in Gwen Snyder midseason last year. They elevated Landry's field former Raptor to their GM's post uh, last season. This is their first full season together, hoping to optimize Trey Young and the Jonathan Murray pairing. It just hasn't, hasn't been. They're still in kind of the, the, the middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference. They still have plenty of other players that are – valuable around the league. They've got draft picks to play with. I, I think the Hawks are going to be very, very active. 
and they have some high stakes to try to figure out something around Trey Young as he is like the true linchpin of this team. You know, just like we're talking about Cade, the time is kind of running out for Trey to prove that he can, and the Hawks to prove that they can build something sustainable around him. So, I think I think there's plenty of pressure right now on, on Atlanta. Uh, the book is Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Uh, Jake, we appreciate you jumping on. And, yeah, let's do this again soon. Thank you, guys. It's Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports, the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Uh, one thing we didn't get a chance to bring up with him that I wanted to get your perspective on is we talked about the Lakers. They win their in-season tournament. Yay. So they raised the banner the other day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you got to see the banner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so it's... So I wondered how they would go about this because this is the first ever in-season tournament banner or just trophy in general. A, would they raise a banner? This is the Lakers. They've won a few things in their lifetime. So yeah, a couple it, championship banners. Does it go up on the same row as all the other banners was my first question. Does it look like the other banner, same color, whatever? And since it's the first one, does it mention inaugural? Does it have just one date? And they went with a very large banner and... They, they made it so it looks like there's a lot of space to add numbers moving mm. forward. So it's in the top left part of the banner, leaving 90% of the banner open for more numbers to be put. I, I personally, if I was the banner designer, you know, that's on my LinkedIn banner designer. I can design any banner I want. I would have had, boom, inaugural season and the date big, just the one year, 2023, and if they want another one down the road, then you make woo, then you make another banner where you can add more. But it just it looks weird to me. It looks weird with the other banners, right? Yeah, that's it. Just looks out. And of And if place. you're adding to it, then you know what if you add another world championship and now the in tournament one is just sandwiched between other. Well, you banners. can move it. You could. I'm no architect though, so I don't know how many rafters are actually there. Probably like, a lot of rafters hold up a roof. There, there's enough rafters, right? That you could have maybe your own rafter. Yeah, for, it, for the in-season stuff, and then you can put up a ton if 100%. you want a bunch of them. I think the more, I think you need more banners, and not just one banner with a bunch of numbers on it. I'm okay with one, but you can't sandwich it in there. It's sandwiched. I feel like it almost should be like somewhere else, different rafter, yeah. wherever. Just like the other side what, of the court. Scotiabank Arena. There's like a couple. Like there's the the legends for the Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. There's the championship banner for the Raptors. Believe there's like Atlantic Division title banners as well. Like I, and some just like kind of stand but alone. But their world champion one is like red and gold and it's the winner, right? Yeah, yeah as it should be. Yeah. So the, the reason, NBA definitely made them put up a banner. Well, right? And they should have. And I definitely think they should have put up a banner. I know it's I silly because the Lakers won, but if it was a team that hadn't won anything, I still think it would have been exciting. But my my comment was I saw today Shaq was talking about the banner and he goes, "Quote, this is just an ornament. It's not a banner." And so that's fair when you've helped lift banners yeah. in that arena, though. Like, it is. He could say that. But you have to add to the... That was so exciting. That was one of the best parts of this NBA season. It was the best part of the NBA season so far, was the in-season tournament that surprised everyone on how much it took flight and how much the, the players cared. And the fact Those, that... The Lakers definitely cared. And the fact that... Definitely The cared. biggest question was, there was an immediate pushback because we're like, oh, this is new. It doesn't make any sense. But if you spent one minute, which we needed to... Figuring out what the structure was, then you understood that, okay, it's not that rocket science. Second of all, it did make sense because the players actually wanted to play for something. Middle of November, games mattered. And then you saw the championship was awesome. It was in Vegas. It was fun. So they definitely needed to hang a banner that mattered. 
but I think it just looks a little, it looks a little silly. I thought it was hilarious watching the Lakers like act like ah, oh, this is you know. It, we're too cool yeah, for this banner celebration. Team, do you think it would have been like it's, that? It's champagne. It's LeBron and Anthony Davis yeah. like dapping each other up, all excited because they're winning. Like they were definitely into it in the moment. For, what is it? 40, 40 and twenty for Anthony Davis in the yeah, final. They like, went he all wanted out. to win that. They partied like they won a champ. Well, partied like they won a half championship, which is befitting of the situation, mm-hmm. of course. But then once the banner was going up, they were like, "Oh, I don't know if I want to be this excited about this." No. It's so sad, though. But they've gone five. Like, they've lost a bunch of games since. Like, they've kind of... And that's LeBron now. They've kind of, like, fallen asleep at the wheel. Like, they're like, oh, we won a championship. Call me when the next one comes around. But you got to play all the games. But LeBron is all about, like, the conservation of energy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, when is he going to expend? If he's saving for the playoffs, he was saving for the in-season tournament. And then he let his foot off the gas right away. Like, they did. 100%. That in itself tells you that they reached another level or they played to their ceiling or close to their ceiling because something was on the line and there was money on the line too more than the banner i'm sure they care about yeah okay so next year a new team wins let's just say a new team wins raptors win raptors win what are the raptors doing they're putting that thing right beside the world championship banner yeah they are and in you and if you win another don't championship, make it the same color you move it down the bench a and they're bit. movable they don't they're not super glued to the roof they are on little hooks that can shift around. Like when the Maple Leafs win their next Stanley Cup. Look at you, architecture. Yeah. My dad's actually an architect. Oh, so you got the... I learned so much about banners raptor and, and raptors and, and hooks. Uh, it's good. We're going to keep talking raptors on the other side of the break. Smith and Jones will join us from Scotiabank Arena because the raptors are hosting the Nuggets. And they got, it's like a big test tonight. I don't even know if it can be a test at... Whatever. I just got some stats for you about how bad the Raptors are in terms of their first quarter. That should have been our Bet Rivers bet because they have not won a first quarter in the entire month of December. It's not too late to uh, you can add that in. Bet quickly. your suggestion or bet your opinion. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back on Sportsnet 590 Fan with Smith and Jones.